Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, today's guest for episode 109, it's quite a strange occasion because my guest is the geographically closest guest ever, and I didn't realise this until we got talking about it. So, Brian, would you like to introduce yeah, yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Brian Sello. I'm the founder of the Indigo Invitational, the author of The Rebel's Wardrobe, and I live uh, just across the fjord from you in uh, in Fredrikstad, Norway. We just moved here about uh, seven months ago or so, and uh, uh, yeah, so it's I, I can almost come out and, and and wave across the fjord at you, but it's uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a ways. But well, there you go. Strange things do occur. Now, I thought we'd start out talking about your book, which has been out now for not long at all, really. I'd like to know, when did you decide to become an author? Um, what is your background? Who is Brian? Uh, so I, I started uh, getting interested in the literature and writing when I, when I was uh, still in my teens. Uh, really enjoyed reading more than anything, but uh, Went to the University of Calgary in Canada, where I'm from, and did a bachelor and then a master's in English literature. And was a bookseller for a while, and it's always been kind of percolating there. I've always wanted to uh, to, to see if I could do anything with uh, with with writing. And I started an editing business when I uh, when I moved to uh, to Budapest in 2013. And you just kind of climb up the ladder. You start as a proofreader, and then you're an editor, and then you're a ghostwriter. I did ghostwriting uh, for you know, seven or eight years. So I have a number of books out there that it's my writing, but it's not my name on the cover. So I really wanted to publish something uh, in my own name. And and menswear has been kind of my passion for you know for for quite a while. So uh, that that seemed like the the right avenue to go into and. Uh, it, it worked out to uh, find a great publisher in Gestalten and uh, was able to kind of really sink my teeth into the research and um, yeah, I finally have something published with my name. Name's not on the cover yet, but I'll, I'll get that's right. It's not. How mm -hmm. strange. It, it, that's that's uh, standard for for Gestalten. They, uh, like my my name is in there as the as the writer, but. Uh, it's similar with, the, I think, Tashin books and stuff like that. So the, the, there's these coffee table books that have the, the publisher on the cover and not the uh, not the writer, so to speak. So when you were planning this book, was it based on the reality of there being really very few good menswear books? There's plenty of menswear books, but mm -hmm. most of them are pretty poor efforts. I I, th I think it's I, I don't want to misquote anybody here, but I think it was Tony Morrison who said uh, that some, something about um, if you can't find the book uh, that you're looking for, then you have to write that book. You know, and the, it, I, I knew I was going to write a book with Gestalt, and it was still unclear what that book would really look like. But um, as I researched and as I looked into what books were out there for for menswear guys, the the scene that I'm really interested in, which is uh, kind of the, the rugged menswear, uh, kind of a heritage menswear, that the, the, the those kind of scenes, there's there's not a lot uh, in that scene for us, and the pieces are are, are broadly accessible. You see them uh, popping up in nearly everywhere, nearly every uh, menswear scene out there, and. I, I want to know more about these pieces. So uh, that's where my research led me. And that's what, uh, uh, what ended up in the book because I, I, I feel 
like a resource book like this uh, was really needed. And, and there's there's more that this scene needs uh, for, for down the road. So that's what I'm looking at now. So the book in question is The Rebel's Wardrobe, the untold story of menswear's renegade past. So the rebel, who is who is he? Well, we, we, we started by thinking about kind of icons uh, of style and um, the, the more we looked at our favorites, uh, guys like uh, Steve McQueen, Brando, uh, Paul Newman, uh, these, these guys who just seem to wear clothes uh, so well, uh, we, we find kind of these, these uh, pivotal moments when they introduce something new in, 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 into, into, our, into our style vocabulary. And that they're often pushing against the grain. They're they're taking something that the most obvious example is maybe Brando wearing a T-shirt uh, in, in in Streetcar Named Desire as not as underwear, but as uh, as as the, the kind of the final layer. He, he he has that great scene where he's it's Blanche Dubois and uh, Stanley Kowalski, and he he strips it off uh, his shirt, and instead of putting on something kind of respectable for around the house, like, like the collared shirt. He puts on a, a clean t-shirt and then does the rest of the scene in, uh, in that clean tee. We, we feel those are really important moments and they pushed against what society kind of expected uh, at that point. And you see this all the way through that these subcultures are making their own stand and uh, making their own statements about what they thought looked good, what they thought uh, was cool and uh, what they wanted to wear. And so many of these iconic mom uh, pieces in the menswear kind of canon uh, became iconic in those kind of rebellious moments. So uh, those are the stories we really wanted to tell. Now you've divided the book into various sections depending on the on the influences. Should we should we do a little sort of walkthrough of uh, of the various sections? I think it starts with workwear. Workwear is the the, the, the first. Right? Workwear is, I guess, where so much of it does start, um, especially as you're a keen uh, denim guy, and uh, yeah, yeah, it sort of all comes back to there. It it, it really does for me. The, it comes back to. Um, my my passion for for jeans uh, for the five pocket jean is kind of an archetypal form uh, in in, uh, in the menswear community. Uh, and it, when we started outlining this book and thinking about what this book was going to be, uh, we knew that the, the jean was going to be at the very center of it. Um, in fact, I, I wanted this to be a book mostly about denim based. Um, menswear, like denim-based menswear looks, where you start with the perfect pair of jeans, and then you build the outfit uh, outwards, kind of radiating out, radiating out from there. Uh, that's the way up the, the, the book I imagined in, uh, when I started out here. So it, it's appropriate that we led off uh, with that workwear chapter and looking at um, how those kind of important pieces came to be. It just strike me when looking through the various pieces that most menswear has kind of a long history. Or another way of saying it is most of the stuff was invented a long time ago and maybe not so much has happened since. I, yeah, there's there's constant change and constant uh, like evolution in, in fashion and, and style. And, but 
the core pieces, those kind of, of again, the canonical uh, pieces in, in, in menswear, uh, they, they, they kind of resist that change. Uh, one of the one of the phrases the, that the publisher used when describing the book was you know, trend resistant uh, menswear, and it, it, I, that 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 really got me thinking about uh, what attracts me to certain pieces uh, and, and and kind of pushes me away from from others. And it, it tends to be those ones that uh, have a, have a long history attached to them and have changed very little because we could argue. Uh, that the the five pocket gene uh, like introduced um, middle of the nineteenth century as, as like kind of just like a workwear pant, uh, but then you know with with the rivets added, uh, completely a game changer there. You know the fifth pocket, or the, the the second back pocket added early part of the twentieth century, and then this kind of a shape of it really uh, becoming set like really in the nineteen forties uh, that. that it hasn't needed changing since then. It hasn't really needed updating uh, since then. The, the subtle differences in, in it's a taper and how it falls, and, and obviously the weight of denim, et cetera, and, and the, the quality of construction. These things have, have, have changed um, denim and uh, changed the way we wear jeans and uh, style jeans. But the the essential form uh, has remained unchanged. The same thing with the the, the denim shirt. Uh, it, it's uh, the, the, the classic Western shirt. It, it hasn't changed much since the 1950s because we can always go back. It's a touchstone and to, to change it too much uh, makes it, it, it removes that trend resistant uh, element to it. it. It becomes something that um, it's, it's just here for a moment. It's, it's, it's one, one decades interpretation of that, that might, gain a core follower somewhere but we always come back to these 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 core pieces that really don't don't change there's just this through line uh, that, that runs like all the way through the 20th century of these uh, standard pieces so that, that's what interests I, I wanted to follow that line i wanted to say where does it start and and, and what what are the interesting points uh, uh, along the way because it hasn't evolved it's just kind of moved through history so I notice you don't spend too much time on discussing denim washes and the pre-worn denims and the sort of not so good bits. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I uh, that that would have felt to, to me like a betrayal <laughs> uh, to, uh, to to even discuss that in the book. I, I when when I uh, started outlining what this book was going to be, it 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 was. Um, a book for salvage enthusiasts, for people like like myself who uh, who do feel that, that the the gene was perfected in the in, in the forties and the in the fifties, and uh, particularly in the material they used, the the, the heavy uh, salvage denim, which uh, the, the wearer then fades uh, themselves, and that's um, that's a big part of what I do with the, with the Indigo Invitational and the the, the Red Line Rally, so. Yeah, in in the book, um, there there was an understanding between the publisher and I that, that I wouldn't be discussing um, kind of washes and, and, and pre faded denim. That just doesn't interest me at all. And I, I um, yeah, it's, it's it's not where my passion lies. They are kind of evolutions that have gone a completely different way, though. Um, 
the sort of fashion way and then become unfashionable and they sort of dwindle, but the core is still is still strong. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like to say that the book in total is very much what guys are looking for when they're Googling late at night trying to find info on stuff. You've kind of collected it all in one book. So when someone is looking for uh, the history of chore coats and such like, well, they can just sort of open it up and, and look. And stuff like chore coats is still very much uh, a thing now. Yes, it's it's there's still the relevant pieces, and uh, as 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 a kind of a, a blogger, if you want to call me that, or uh, you know, I write a lot of, kind of buying guides and uh, kind of trying to help uh, people new to the scene understand uh, what these pieces are and understand what what kind of quality looks like, uh, etc. Um, I, I've spent a lot of time researching these, these these things online, and I've I've found consistently like you 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 get you can only get so far. You 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 kind of dig a little bit, and then it's just kind of it just starts repeating itself. It's just all this all the same information, and not it's often incorrect. I found a lot of the stuff that um, uh, that the, the brands would would say about a, a certain piece, they would cite certain years or certain. Um, kind of watershed moments uh, and not always correct or, or, or often incorrect when you, when you dig a little further and, and, and really get into the source material. And I know I, I, I'm, I'm probably guilty of that as well. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, I still wonder what, what myths I've perpetuated uh, with this book and what, uh, what the, what the true story is, but I've, I've dug as deep as I can. And uh, because I understand that 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 process uh, that we all go through as 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 kind of menswear enthusiasts, once you cross that line into enthusiast territory, you want to know as much as you can, and it's tough to know where to look and when what's verifiable and what's just fantasy and what's myth and what's uh, myth making on the part of uh, of brands trying to give their products a certain uh, heritage air. And say, oh, we've been doing this, you know, in an uninterrupted way since you know 1902. When you look deeper, it's it's a more complicated story. So I tried to, uh, with with each of the pieces, tell the story in 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 a, in a, in a simple way and in, in a straightforward way that really covers um, those, those important moments without getting too dragged down into what the myths are. I'm guessing there must have been a big change in denim when it went from being a durable workwear garment and sort of changed into a fashion garment. Uh, yes, so um, you see it in the early '70s when uh, you know the, the 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 big kind of legacy brands start moving away from selvage and start moving towards. Uh, that they were they moved from the selvage looms from manufacturing uh, denim on selvage looms to projectile looms which pr- produce denim much faster uh, it's a much more uh, consistent fabric it's like it's, it's uh, there's not, not as much character in it um it's it's more it became more about the look uh of, of the garment than about its uh, performance and People were more interested because it, because it was a fashionable item. People were, by by its definition, fashion is what it looks like. 
not ha- not how it functions. Uh, so uh, that was enough. You know, people were happy with that. It, it, with washes, and you could have these these looks of denim that took people years to to, to create by just wearing the the garment. The manufacturers could then make that for you, uh, so that it was ready to buy. So um, the, the 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 garment lost something uh, in that process. Denim lost something in that process, and it it, it took the it took Japanese uh, kind of enthusiasts, uh, denim enthusiasts, uh, to really help us rediscover that. There's been a lot of talk recently about um, well, uh, David. W. David Marks was my guest last week, mm-hmm. and he wrote the Amatora oh, really? book yeah. about how um, how Japan saved the Ivy style and then sort of kind of sold it back to America. But they really did save the traditional denim style as well, and then sold it back to America yeah. and the world. It's a, it was that uh, the, the kind of the heavy duty, uh, which was one of the kind of offshoots uh, of uh, Ivy in the in the seventies, where uh, den- the, the enthusiasts in, in, in Japan kind of discovered uh, Red Wing boots and uh, the Levi's 501s. They, 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 I shouldn't say discovered. There had been a, a, a decades-long uh, interest uh, in, in, in the Levi's 501 uh, in Japan among collectors. And they... Uh, the, the the interest ballooned. It became so so large that uh, manufacturers started producing their own version uh, of the Levi's five hundred one, trying to kind of perfect um, that 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 form. And that's given us the scene we have today. Is this through that process uh, they created something very special? They they even outdid the original. Uh, which is you know, which, which was difficult to do. You know, the, the Levi's five hundred one, uh, you know, from the nineteen fifties. Uh, that's it's, it was starting. I say nineteen forty seven. That's a, a damn near perfect product. Uh, but but the Japanese have managed to to, to outdo it, and uh, now the American manufacturers, you know, starting in the, the late nineties, really started to catch on so to that the, as well. The later Japanese product was better than the original 1947 yeah. product so that the repro yeah, was actually so. of a higher quality mm-hmm. it's it's, uh, it's just that uh, there's more interest in the in the fabric because they they as far as i know the the the, the heaviest was around 14 ounce uh 14 maybe 14 and a half uh, ounce the kind of the cone mills classic uh, levi levi salvage or salvage used by levi's uh and uh, in the '90s, especially, uh, some of the Japanese brands began to experiment with heavier uh, forms of salvage. The brands, like I think, Full Count was one of the first to kind of push that weight uh, higher and higher. And uh, brands like Ironheart and Samurai kind of said, "Well, like, how 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 far can we push this?" Uh, they they and they really went up into these, uh, you know, they cr- crossed the twenty ounce uh, mark. Uh, with some of these pairs and uh, that that was a, a true game changer the, the the way people have kind of flocked to to heavy salvage for the way it not only performs but how, especially how it, how it looks when it fades uh, and how it feels uh, to to wear heavy denim that's been you know perfectly faded that's uh, that's really what drew me in 
I, I was I can't call my I couldn't call myself any kind of mentor enthusiast until I discovered heavy. Selfish. I love the way it feels when it's brand new. <laughs> really, it's still yeah. like cardboard, and it's just perfectly blue and it's pristine. That is the best day. <laughs> really, it, 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 we are uh, we, we couldn't be further apart of that's that's really interesting to me because I always just assume that of course it's, it's of course it's it's better. Uh, but but you know, I've been saying for a while here that like I don't like new clothes. I, I buy a lot of new clothes, but but I don't particularly like new clothes. That um, I, I see a great pair of jeans or a great denim shirt, uh, a great denim jacket, uh, as a collaboration between the maker and the wearer. Uh, so that you you're you're buying something that's essentially unfinished uh, from from the manufacturer, and then it's your job to you know, take it to the, to the, to, to its next stage, you know, to, to make it perfect by bending it to you, your will, your body, your lifestyle, making it reflect those things, uh, and having it, um, become this kind of like representation of, of, of what you are and what you do, uh, having that kind of show on the face of, of, of your denim. That, that's, that, that's what I've, um, that's what gets me up. One of the things that gets me up in the morning. Uh, so it's a, it's amazing when I do hear people say, "I love brand new heavy selvage." Uh, that that it feels to me like an unfinished product, but but to you it just feels perfect because it's so clean, crisp, and as you say, it's it's unbroken. It's got you know some texture in the face, but it's just hinting there. It's it's beautiful. It's dark. And if that's what you look for in a pair of jeans, then yeah, heavy selvage is uh, is a great place to to define that. But I don't meet many people uh, in, in in my field, at least, who want to keep their jeans looking new. Um, I'm just it, a it, different kind of freak. It's like the the wax jacket yeah. guys. I mean, some people want their wax jackets nice and fresh. Others want them old and worn out and smelly. But it's it was actually very insightful to what you were saying then because. Um, I see a lot of people say that old people dress so well. Mm-hmm. Not all old people, but they'll they'll typically show some photos <laughs> of some older person who looks great in what they're wearing. And it strikes me that, well, those are clothes they've had for a long time. They enjoy them. They like them. They've worn into them. And they look good on them. So hence, they've kept them and they're wearing them. And... On the podcast for a while now, I've been after, I mean, there's this tired thing about buy less, buy better, mm-hmm. but really, if that's going to work, you have to buy stuff you will like for a long time. How do you know that you will like something for a long time? It's like meeting a new partner. Well, the first rush of love and you're sort of completely over the moon, but it might last a week or a month or 10 years. And also, how can someone make something that will be loved for a long time? Well, I, I, I love, I love this. Uh, that, that, that's a great question. Uh, and I, when, I, when I'm when I'm shopping for clothes, uh, I'm, I'm I'm certainly making assumptions about the kind of relationship I'll form with a certain piece of clothes, and those assumptions don't always turn uh, turn out to be true. The, 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 it, it, you're, t- you're talking about the old, old old people in their clothes and how um, they, 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 they generate a certain respect. And I, I think it's a process where 
we we buy as much as we buy and, and certain pieces in in the middle just rise to the top that they're, they're, they're ones we, we we reach for more and more and they might not be the ones that we expect to be we, we, we buy this buy this jacket and it oh my god it's beautiful i think of, of one myself i got a custom made uh, denim jacket and I, and I love it I, I i absolutely adore it every time i wear it i'm like i should wear this so much more i i, I love this jacket but i don't for, for, for some reason it just it hasn't risen to the top it, it's risen to the top in my estimation it's risen to the top in in terms of the, the, the quality that, that has been made uh, the, the, the care it's been made with the design it's, it's all there but for whatever reason it 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 doesn't get enough wear I don't, I don't wear it nearly as much as the other pieces it's just not the one i reach to so when we, when we look at these um, old, older folks who are, who are looking great in their clothes i think it's two things one it's that they've been through this long process of allowing their, those great pieces to rise to the top of their collection um and it's also that as that happens those pieces that rise to the top the ones that they will wear the most they get more beautiful with age uh, they they become um through that process of wear because they've been loved uh, they they become just even more beautiful because they, they, maybe he, it's a tweed jacket he's had for fifty years, and uh, for the first ten years of its life, it it got a ton of wear from him because he loved it so much and because it, because it just became the center of his rotation, the, the center of what what he was wearing on a daily basis. And through that process, it became something even better than, than it was when it, when, when he got it, it's got these little, maybe he's mended it a few times. Maybe it's, it's got a little bit of fraying around the cuffs and that adds character to the piece. And I, I try to do the same thing with, um, uh, with, with the jeans and the shirts that, that I really love and that I want to wear every day. I try to give them some character. That's one of those things I could talk about, uh, for like, like just an hour or so. So it's, uh, it, you, you've really struck on, on, the, on something that's um, a core of my message, because we all have messages uh, that we we want to really drill down on, that we we want to um, influence uh, the, the the conversation in some way, and that's the way what, what you've kind of brought up there is really one of the one of the core uh, tenets in, in in my message, uh, which is you know, the Yes, we 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 purchase maybe we purchase a little bit too much, but uh, I, I want to help guide people towards those those pieces they really love, and then to give them the the attention they deserve, uh, because it's through that attention that that our clothes become uh, more beautiful and a better expression of of, of who we are uh, as individuals. That, that that we can, especially denim, that that, that uh, not just denim, but especially denim, that it be, becomes this. Outward, uh, something people can appreciate immediately, um, in, in, in the way your your clothes have have have, uh, have faded and, and 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 fallen apart a little bit. It says something about you uh, as an individual, and I think what that says is really important, uh, at least to it's me. Interesting because this is the directly opposite message that the fashion industry which basically is the clothing industry today is giving us where new stuff is really about buying happiness and contentment until you want more new stuff. 
Well, you can, I, I always want new stuff too. I, I, I really understand it. I, uh, I'm sure the more, the more time you spend in the, in these online, uh, menswear communities, I, I see a piece I want uh, every day. Luckily I don't have, I'm, I'm, I'm a writer, so I don't have the huge budget, <laughs> uh, to work with. I can't spend as much as I would, would, would probably want to on clothes. Uh, but that, that, that satisfaction and that contentment that they uh, that the, the world of fashion promises, um, it, it it's it can be ours. It, it absolutely can be ours. We we can love our clothes, but my argument uh, has been that it, we can you, you will love that piece uh, like nothing else when you've worn it for three hundred four hundred times. Because then, then it's then it's yours. Then it's it, it's really yours. It's not something that's just been sold to you. It's something you've made, um, and that that that, that it it, bring, it brings the consumer into that process. And if if you constantly remain just as, as a pure consumer, just that you're just buying clothes, putting them on once for the Instagram, and then maybe wearing them once or twice again, you're, you're getting no pleasure from that, or or the, or the pleasure is really fleeting. I'm going to say something really strange now. Oh, but I love it. If you could have a room in your house mm-hmm. where no one judged you, where you could actually put clothes on display, so not clothes you're wearing, but a collection for display, where some people might come by now and again, and you could sort of get into it and tell them about them, show them, and share the pleasure in, in fine stuff that, you might not actually wear now and again. I mean, your custom denim jacket would have a place there. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's something I think about now and again. That wouldn't it be nice to take all the stuff I really love, but very rarely wear, and I could just tell people about it because there's so much passion there, <laughs> and people could just go, "Wow, uh, yeah." I, I I have a I have a room like that. It, it's it's my bedroom, you know. Like, and I I've I've been able to take some some of the guys. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of proud of the fact that, uh, like, in in Budapest, some of my closest friends, uh, in in Budapest, that they've allowed me to kind of introduce them to this, to this world. And usually, like, I, I find them a great pair of jeans. Uh, which they then, they're like, ah, oh, there's there's always that little bit of reluctance at first, and then they they get that experience and and they're in, and then I I can pull them into the bedroom. I'm, uh, I'm just seeing can... just seeing how this works when you tell your partner that you're just taking your your pals into the bedroom to show them the jeans you've been wearing for the past 365 days. <laughs> I, I I leave the door open. Uh, <laughs> you know, just, um, it's, there's, there's there's nothing going on there, but uh, my wife my wife. Uh, the lover to pieces uh she she fully understands um how deep this runs for me and how much joy it brings me uh, to share this with others because like, like clothes it, it's it's definitely something we do so so often we do this uh, this is a good i think segue into the what we do with the indigo invitational but uh we're, we're alone. So much of it is, is spent, it's time alone standing in front of a mirror or a camera. Uh, and we, we hope that people see what we see uh, when, when we look in the mirror and see something we, we, we really like on our bodies. You know, that, that we really, you know, appre- we, we appreciate 
you know, the, the, the fabric. We appreciate the way it's been, it's been made. Uh, we, we appreciate the way that history has been woven into it that, the, oh, they, 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 they used to do this. They don't do it anymore, but these people, they did this, this one specific brand, they, they really understand that, that how important that history is. So they do this thing that's completely unnecessary, but they do it anyways, because it's a nod to the past. And I, I, I love telling people about those things. I love, uh, you know, having it as kind of a secret to, to my myself, but I really love uh, sharing that uh, with, with others. So when I bring people into that bedroom and kind of lay certain pieces on the, um, on the bed, and say, okay, well, here this 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 piece was you know is this was made in Germany. It, it, it's 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 a forgotten knitting technique or you know, something like this. Um, and 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 to see kind of the, some some glimmer of understanding is some uh, when you really get going uh, when it becomes the, the, like something that pulls them deeper into the scene. Uh, that that's I absolutely love that. Um, I don't have a lot of pieces that I'd be really proud of that I don't wear. Uh, I, I, I try to, uh, I'm, I'm like the opposite of a hoarder. I'm a purger. So when, when there's something in my collection that I'm, that just isn't getting uh, anywhere, I just, I just get rid of it. I, I, I move it on uh, and try to find somebody else who will appreciate it or, or love it. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, I, I try to keep the, um, my clothing collection as small as possible. Yeah. I'm not, quite um <laughs> quite there <laughs> yeah. but that is a that is a theme throughout the, the rebels wardrobe though because the pieces you're talking about are solid basic pieces really whereby if you buy a um buy a peacoat say because you've been watching mm -hmm. shetland on tv and mm -hmm. think uh, he looks really good in a peacoat you buy it you will find out ah, it doesn't quite work for me but there's always someone who's interested in taking it on afterwards. It, it's it's living a life. Um, it, it, every, especially a well-made piece, uh, something that's been it's been made with passion. It's been designed very carefully. It's it's probably cost you a lot of money, and it it deserves a life. It deserves a and and, and uh, it's it's a sad kind of life to be something that just hangs on a hanger somewhere or, or gets, gets folded and put into, into a crate. I remember that there was a, there was a guy, this is a, a digression here, but uh, when I joined the, the, the raw, raw denim community, uh, there was a guy who, who was talking about his, his favorite brands. His, his favorite brand was Ironheart. And he, he, he said he had something like 125 pairs of, of Ironheart jeans. And, uh, but he didn't even know the the actual number. He was like, I, I don't know. They're all in. He told me they were in uh, plastic containers. Uh, in his, his, he had a, he had a storage container, and he kept stacks of these uh, unworn, uh, un, so obviously unfaded, uh, Ironheart jeans, and they, and these are you know, between three hundred and fifty and four hundred and fifty dollars for per pair so it's, it's a massive massive investment of uh, of money and i it, it still mystifies me um where the pleasure was in that but besides the the pleasure of ownership and and it it's it, it, it still it just baffles me uh because 
if I'm if I'm not wearing a pair, I'm moving on. Like like like, like because that's not. Um, I'm not doing any justice to what the what the what the maker uh, has, has has poured their, uh, their their passion into. It's, it's just if it's sitting in a in a storage container. I'm, I'm sure they're happy to have your money, but uh, I'm sure they'd be happier still uh, to have you it's wear kind it. Of like the clock guys or the watch guys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that the pleasure in is in showing off to others, being able to sort of tell them that you have 125 pairs, whereby you probably haven't quite understood it. And I think that same goes for watches, because I can't get understand the, this idea of collecting expensive watches. I, I, I think it's... Um... It's just a form of, of consumption and uh, and a kind of a kind of a display of of, of influence. There's the same thing with with uh, people with. There's that whole side of like the kind of the luxury side uh, of uh, like like kind of the, the menswear community. So you get the, the the watch community, the sneaker community. Uh, you get this as well in in, in the denim community, and um, I, I I I think I can understand. You know the, the the impulse that that says that you want to say I'm doing well. You know, look, look how well I'm doing, uh, and, and or uh, perhaps I, I'm I'm so deep into this enthusiasm. I love this so much. I love watches uh, or sneakers so much. I will put them in boxes and, and just stack them in because I uh, there's that's the only way I can store them. I have so many of them. I have so many I can't even wear them all. Um, it, it's it's antithetical to, uh, to 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 kind of my approach to to menswear, which is again due to a constrained budget. But even if I had unlimited resources, I don't I don't think I would be out there collecting uh, things I'm not going to wear on a daily basis, uh, or, or or try to at least, or or worthy of that wear uh, daily. Uh, it's just, um, yeah, there's, there's something a little sad in it for me, uh, especially like with a, with a great timepiece that's sitting in a box somewhere that could be on someone's wrist, that, 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 that could be an incredible story piece. And it just drives the value up to the point where like I'm a book collector as well. I love, I love books, uh, but I, I, I can't afford those great you know, like the first editions and stuff like that, that I, 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 they're out of reach for me because the collector's market has driven the value of, of so high that it's only a very small percentage of the population that can uh, even get anywhere near. But them. you did start the Indigo Invitational, which is kind mm -hmm. of a stance against all this hoarding and not using. Exactly, you've you've summarized it uh, really nicely there. Um, when I when I when I joined the the, the raw denim community, I had like uh, a very nicely faded pair, uh, three three nicely faded, a nicely faded pair of naked and famous, nicely faded pair of nudies, and a pair of iron hearts that were really really on their way. And I went into I came into this community and I I, I shared pictures and I said, okay, guys, let's see your fades. And the the answer I that I got back from so many people was like, um, I've, I, I I I I I can't produce great fades, 
because I'm too busy collecting. That, that, that was what it that was what it boiled down to. Is I've I've got too many pairs. I'm I'm not like I, I, this pair has sixty wares or maybe maybe a hundred wares. Um, but but that that's all I seem to be able to do. I always buy a new pair before uh, I, I can really get that um, the, the, those beautiful fades. But but the people from Southeast Asia in that community they 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 started they had some absolutely incredible uh, stuff that they were sharing. So. I said, well, what, let, let's try to create some discipline here. Like what, what do we have to do to, um, to make this community, um, start really dedicating themselves to a single pair and to keep their attention on, on, on a single pair. And, uh, the, the, the easy solution to that was, was a, a fading competition. And I'm, I'm far from the first to do it. Uh, Samurai had one starting in 2006. They were, uh, they were the first brand uh, to, to sponsor a fading competition. And then there was the uh, HWDC uh, and they ran, a, it was a two year competition. So you faded a pair for two years. So uh, we just kind of took those ideas and said, okay, well, we'll do one year. And it, it's just the, the interest in it just ex exploded. It went from being a small community of about like a hundred uh, fade enthusiasts uh, mostly com just competing for honor at first until sponsors kind of came on board. And then the next year after that, it became, it was around 750 or 800 competitors. And then the year after that, uh, the, where the year we're in now, it's more than a thousand. Uh, and and it's, it's got, it's created a community out of this. What I was talking about with, you know, clothes being a really solitary thing. Well, this has now created a community around the fade competition where people can share their progress and get encouragement uh, from like, because we all get those temptations. But when you get the community saying like, no, don't give up, don't give up on that pair, keep, keep going or get them repaired and, and, and just keep going with them. And it, it produces beautiful results. So the, the, the proof's in the pudding. You know, every year we've hundreds hundreds and hundreds of uh, competitors crossed the line after 12 months of, of fading with these pairs they can be really proud of uh, even if they're not you know ending up on the podium they still have something that they can uh, they can really be proud do of. do people outside of the scene uh, relate to this I, that's a good question it's it, it's hard to hard to say um you know, by, by being like like immersed in it daily I, I begin to forget uh, what it's like, <laughs> like in the in in the world that either hasn't experienced selvage or just doesn't have any interest. Maybe they've experienced it once and, and didn't like it. Like that 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 moment you you were talking about earlier, about like oh it's so stiff and dark and um, <laughs> not 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 people. I think a lot of denim consumers want something soft. It feels like beaten up on on the first day. It slides on really gently. I have and I have no argument. To, uh, uh, I have no argument that could win over those people. Um, you know, if they say I want I want a pair that uh, that's comfortable on day one, you're like okay, right? Like it was nice meeting you. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that's that, that's kind of the end of it. I I, I can't I can't provide that. Um, I can't point them to a brand that. Um, that, that where, where that it is it's stiff and it fights you but the, the they don't want the process they want the they want the immediate results i mean most and, uh, most people now do buy jeans 
with elastic denim and um yep i i think we we, we might be seeing a, a a turn in that or at least a, a corner of the market kind of turning towards um like like what the, what we have to offer in the in the selfish community because the there's there's the movement away from really skinny fits towards kind of a wider leg to to a more relaxed look so not something that feels like leggings but something that leaves a lot of air in there um so the, the, that I'm, I'm always hoping uh, for for more of kind of the, the menswear community to turn turn in that direction because that's that's the way that's where we can get them <laughs> that's where we can pull them into the fold is when they start looking at at, at wider legs then we say okay like you try something that uh, feels a little stiff at first but it'll break break down and start becoming uh, really soft and supple uh, in in time because when they're looking for that the, at, at, a, at a wider fit. It, it doesn't need that stretch and we can move them into a hundred percent cotton product uh, that is going to uh, change over time and, and, and become something um, that they're, they're, they're really proud of uh, in, in, in time. So that's, that's how we can, or that's at least something we can be hopeful about uh, to move them towards um, or away from the stretch because the, the stretch is having plastic in your jeans just uh, um yeah it, it's it's it, it makes sense if you want comfort first if comfort is everything and comfort and fit you know like that that makes sense but um it takes away a lot of those properties that create this beautiful faded product you know, it strikes me that there was a sort of um the raw denim had its moment say what 15 to five years ago mm -hmm. uh it was a lot more focus on it um it was all japanese denim and so forth then it sort of went out of fashion among society at large and we've seen mm -hmm. a sort of surge in um say denim from italy do you like italian denim <laughs> um uh, candiani uh, one, one of the one of the bigger kind of more heritage uh, mills there that they're they're fantastic and they're um, incredible guys we had uh, one of the guys from candiani uh, kind of involved in the judging uh, in the first in the first year of the uh, the invitational so that there is it, it's, it's a varied scene uh, in Italy uh, there was a like I, I can I can rattle off a few brands uh from, from italy um that that they really show a, a, an ongoing respect for you know the heritage denim and all, all that but in terms of like designer denim no matter where it comes from um because i, I don't i don't see selvage as designer denim it has a designer denim price tag but you're you're, you're paying for something else uh, not usually the brand name uh, associated with it. So, so designer denim, it's just, it's just not really a world that I, I follow much, uh, because it, it's, it's just, it never manages to, to turn my head. You know, when I see those, when the, when the denim is thin and obviously faded by the manufacturer or distressed even worse by the, by the manufacturer, which just doesn't turn my head. It just can't get my attention. Mm. 
I was about to say this podcast is sponsored by Italian denim, but yeah. <laughs> I'll leave that bit out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for me, just, just cut that whole thing. For me, it's just too perfect. It's, I mean, it comes on huge rolls. It's wide rolls, and the surface is so even and perfect, and utterly without interest. But but show but me that, something really yeah. gritty with lots of structure and character. And, and I'll be right there. Yeah, and that that comes down to 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 weight, uh, usually. And and the when the indigo dying is is an art form, uh, practiced by the manufacturer. You got to pay for these things, but it's it's worth every penny uh, because you, you're getting. It's it's just a it's like just look at it, just get up close with it, and and that's what's <clears throat> that's what. Um, I think a lot of people who are uh, who haven't yet kind of dived into into the salvage scene or kind of took a took a quick like open the door and then shut it just as quickly. Uh, it's, it's what they're missing is that kind of microscopic view uh, of, of what this denim is. And and I don't know about you, but I, I sit here with my legs crossed, you know, like writing and working, and I just rub my hands over the over the surface. And, 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 and to see a change, you know, day after day, and there's there's just so much going on. Uh, the 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 balance of white and blue, the uneven, you know, the fading of it, the way it um, the way it ripples, and, uh, this, especially the, the the sharp white contrasting marks around the side of the knees and across the uh, across the top block, uh, and around the bottom of the jeans. These. Italian denim, the kind of Italian denim you're describing there, that really smooth, uniform, kind of almost silky smooth uh, and very soft uh, denim, it just can't produce that. It just doesn't, again, it goes back to what I'm saying. It doesn't turn my head. It just doesn't doesn't generate any interest. I would like to interject here that this was a very emotional moment for Brian. He was speaking with his eyes closed and I could see this was serious. yeah. Yeah, I, 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 thanks for recognizing that. I appreciate. Yeah, it. yeah. Um, you mentioned indigo dye. Now, this is something I know. It sort of comes up um, a lot, and especially brands talk about real indigo, which an enthusiast takes to mean that this dye has come from the indigo plant. It's the real deal. And then you start digging and you realize that, oh, when they say real indigo, they mean it's a synthetically equivalent, identical, but chemically made dye. Yeah, it's um, 100% real indigo is, is one of those, uh, if you know, you know. <laughs> it's uh, one of those things that uh, like, gets thrown out there a lot. And it's, it is 100% accurate uh, for, um, for, for brands to be saying 100%. Uh, real indigo, um, but we, it is often capitalized, you know, because it, it's it, it's uh, it's a product. That's that's what they're what they're using to create that look. And I I don't um, I definitely distinguish between natural indigo and uh, synthetic, but I have uh, I have only a handful of pairs that are dyed naturally. Um, it 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 is it's it's, it's different. The, the 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 shade of blue uh, it, it generates uh, as it's faded. 
it's it's, it's different. It's it's, uh, it's 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 lighter. It's it's more. It's it's, it's like a like like, like, like a summer sky on a, like um with just with wisps of clouds across it. It's a it, a, a soft tone that, that that bleeds out around the edges. Um, and the synthetic is it's 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 a little just a little harder. Uh, it, it, it creates a, a sharper contrast. So both have their uh, have their merits, and uh, depending on what you look for uh, in, in a pair, you might be more interested in in, in the synthetic uh, indigos than the natural kind. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a good thing to educate yourself on when you're looking for a pair. Like, okay, okay don't just go for oh, this is natural indigo. Don't just reach for that pair, like, and and pay the premium for it until you've looked into how uh, that that affects how the how the, how the garment will end. How can you actually tell before it started fading? I mean, is it specific brands that are, I'd say, more trustworthy, or do you have I, to call well, call Japan and sort of <laughs> ask the guys? Most because of the uh, the, the premium you know, you're paying on that. To, to get something dyed with with natural indigo, it's really rare. Like, a, 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 especially if you look at the genes, the, the, the world of denim as a, as a whole, you're you're talking about a a niche within a niche within a niche. It's it's a it's a small uh, subset of brands that will uh, most of them in Japan, uh, but not exclusively. The one of the pairs uh, that I well, it's Japanese denim, but then sewn together in in Germany. So most of the brands that, uh, that, that use natural indigo, uh, will tell you <laughs> that, 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 because they're, they're using that to justify a, a, a higher price and it, and, and, and it does justify a higher price, uh, for those who, um, who understand, uh, who, who've educated themselves on what, what kind of fades it can produce and what kind of colors of blue, uh, emerge. Uh, as the garment ages, so you can generally the a, a, a respectable any of the kind of big brands, respectable brands in the Japanese space, especially that they'll tell you that, and they you you can believe them, uh, you can absolutely believe them. Um, but they, they're I, I I don't know how to tell, uh, like if it's a smaller brand, kind of an upstart brand that's saying. We, we we use natural indigo. I don't I don't know how to confirm that without you know kind of fading the garment to see how. It I'm just concerned because a lot of brands will say it as well, untruthfully, and I think in many ways we are very um, nice consumers for them because mm -hmm. we have our little mental checklist where natural indigo, yes, and name brand rivets and uh, salvage this and that and ounces and we'll tick everything off and, oh, yes, this sounds very good, <laughs> but really mm -hmm. we're not very critical at all because we'll just believe it. Well, yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll I, th I think there's, we always have to take um, you know, the, the brands, we don't always have to, but I think, for the for the most part, we 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 do just take the brand's word for it. Uh, if, if if they tell us something has, has been dyed, we, it's it's really hard to to follow that supply chain all the way to to its source and, and confirm that without you know like sending an investigator to, to Japan to search it to, to to find these things out. 
And um, yeah, so I like. I, I would say just go with the brand that that you 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 feel you can trust, and and the results, the the the, the proof will be in the pudding. It, it, you, when you when you when you fade it, it should produce the kind of results you expect. If it doesn't, then don't trust that brand again. I'm just sort of also now thinking that maybe we're putting way too much importance on these things as well, uh, in the typical guy way. That does it really matter? I'm not sure, uh, but it suddenly becomes well, super important. It, uh, as as with any kind of uh, enthusiasm. Uh, the, the the deeper you go, the more those little details mean absolutely everything, and then and they're not things that the uh, the, the layperson can can appreciate or or, or or recognize. But if you know, you know uh, these these little things that uh, the, the, the enthusiasts look for. Um, but yeah, I, I I do think those things. I I I, I think if we if we just say, well, these details aren't uh, aren't that important? Then we're, we're we're kind of we're kind of cashing out of that enthusiast space. Mm. You know, we're, we're saying like, well, the the details don't matter. I just all I want is a great pair of jeans that that that, that fits right, feels good, and it, it, it is a certain weight. Well, then you can do that for you know double digits. You can you can find like the, those criteria for ninety five dollars or uh, from from certain brands. But if you if you're still spending that that, that that kind of money, you do care about the details. Uh, I think that would be expected that it's it, it's the details that justify the larger spend. Yeah. If I'm spending four hundred dollars on a pair of jeans, which I don't do very often, but still, I, I'm perfectly willing to do if the if the right ones come along. Hmm. Uh, I'm I'm doing it because of the details, because the, the, they've done something very special that uh, my eye can see. And that the they're, they're, uh, other people like me can can recognize, uh, and and no, it won't be appreciated by the broader public. But that's I'm not I'm not I'm not getting this. I'm not spending more for that. I'm not spending more for that broader appreciation. I'm spending more for my appreciation and for the, the, the my fellow enthusiasts. And that, that that comes back to what you were saying about watches and um, you know the, the, the bespoke tailoring and stuff like this that. Uh, it's, it's these finer details that uh, only the enthusiast can really appreciate, but they mean everything uh, uh, to us. I wanted to loop back for a moment to the to the fade contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sort of thinking that a lot of people will look upon that and think, well, there's a, a weird bunch of guys wearing their smelly jeans for a year, making a competition of it. I mean, how strange is that? And I can see that being an outsider viewpoint. But then I'm thinking that actually these guys wearing their jeans for a year like that has kind of an environmental and commercial aspect as well. Because for that year, they're not buying any other jeans, or at least not wearing any. They're actually wearing, I imagine after a year or so, these jeans are pretty much worn out. Or in your terms, just getting started. Yeah. yeah. It depends on how heavy they are and how hard they've been pushed. But uh, they are enjoying them. Yeah. They are to, to the, properly using yeah. them. Properly using them. That's the, the, I couldn't have said it better myself there. You know, like I've, I've been wearing the jeans I'm, I'm wearing now for more than 300 days and 
they're they're really getting getting started I'm, I, again i'm a writer so i don't put the kind of daily abuse uh that say a, a farmer in thailand uh does and i, I have a pretty uh, strict code which my wife helps me with that uh, anytime they start to smell at all they, they, they go in the wash it's the same thing with anything i wear if i i, I refuse i'm housebroken I'm a housebroken denim head. Uh, I'm I'm not going to be this guy who who drags in a, a, a tremendous amount of dirt uh, with me every time. Every like you, you can't sit at the dining room table. You can't uh, like sit on any of the furniture without putting a towel down. Um, th th this kind of thing. That's um, you know, I don't take it that far. And, and <laughs> respect for those who do. Most of them uh, being guys living the dream. Uh, it, <laughs> yeah, that that they are. Um, you, you, you see this in, and not just in in Southeast Asia, but the Southeast Asian communities are exceptional, uh, exceptionally passionate uh, faders. And the, the the heat and the humidity, and they'll they wear the dry uh, the the pair dry for three hundred days, or for maybe some for the three hundred the full three hundred sixty five, and yeah you can you can smell some of the pictures through through your screen you know that, that, that it's it, it's it's pretty clear that that's it's a very dirty pair that, that probably doesn't uh doesn't smell great um i don't take it that far and i don't advocate uh for for, for taking that far either i think uh if you if you gene smell wash them that's that's my if, if people ask me for advice when when they should wash the jeans i say do they smell that's, that's the that's the only question you should ask. Like, do they do they look dirty? Uh, do they smell dirty? Um, and if so, then yeah, put them in the wash uh, and, and and follow the you know you have to wash them gently or carefully, I should say. But the rules yeah. regarding washing denim are almost religious. Yeah. So yeah. what you're saying now is basically just give them a little rinse. Yeah, that that you, you get them smelling and looking right right you don't need to put them in for the uh, I, I i never wash them with a with a spin cycle for instance so if i, I use the washing machine uh but uh I, I turn the spin cycle off and get that get that water as cold as it can can get so that I, I don't want the jeans to shrink and i don't want the uh that the pressure that the 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 the, the, the spin cycle creates on, on jeans will create fades that you don't want on, on your jeans they'll create like vertical creasing and, and, and stuff like this that i want to avoid uh so yeah we've we've all got our uh, our, our special approach uh to washing and some for some people that very special approach to washing is not washing at all um which I, i'll tip my hat to them you know they they they, they, they are so passionate so dedicated to to the phase into that lifestyle that they live in kind of a, a cloud of um what's got to be kind of a, a pretty sour smell so in two months time when you're coming up to a full year mm -hmm. will you then respectfully remove these jeans give them a little wash fold them put them in plastic and archive them in your no doubt I, huge archive yeah uh, so for, for me are you talking about yeah. my pair yeah, uh, definitely don't put anything um, like any of my jeans in in plastic and archive them. I, I continue wearing them. So um, 
at, at the end of uh, each year, we have a grace period, or I should say uh, what I call the bridge period. And that's usually between five, six, seven months where we're not competing, oh. uh, where we're, we're, you know, this year we're, we're having the red line rally, which is shirts and jackets. So we're still fading something, you know, competitively, but the, we're not fading a pair of jeans. And during those six months, then, then I'm rotating and I'm, I'm wearing, you know, I've got a great pair of, of, of big John, uh, jeans that I, that, that are just really coming into their own. Uh, so I'll be, I'll be wearing them a lot. I've got uh, this, uh, Robin Denim uh, started a brand called Realign. I'll be wearing those a lot. They're just, just absolutely beautiful, uh, pair that have, have a lot to give. So I'll, I'll, I'll be rotating through my collection and I'll be going back to my old iron hearts and I'll be going back to my, even my first pairs, uh, my, 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 my first pair of like nudies and naked and famous. I'll, I'll, I'll wear those for a couple of days, um, just to get the, to fully enjoy the collection which is only possible when we keep that collection relatively small. Uh, you know, it, 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 it becomes something we just can't do if we've got 40, 50 or 125 pairs uh, sitting in, in plastic crates. A wonderful gleam of enthusiasm while you were talking about all the pairs you're waiting to wear now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to see that, that, that light in my eye, you, know, uh, you can uh, say my wife's name to me. Uh, that, that, that'll definitely produce that. But also... Um, you know, ask me what I'm going to do in the, in the off season, what pairs I'm going to wear in the off season, you know, it's like it's, it, it, and you can see the same in, in the community. People are now getting excited because it's, it is tough. You know, wearing the same pair for 365 days in a row. Some people just can't do it. Um, but the, but the people who really stick to their guns and, and, and really try to bring the best out of that, uh, out of that one pair, uh, at the, at the end of those 365 days, yeah, they've got, They've, they've got that pair they've been looking at uh, hanging up on their, uh, in, in the closet or folded nicely in a drawer and they just know it's waiting for them. And like, it, it, it helps build this, like they generate this very special kind of love for your, for uh, the pairs in your collection, because you can't wear those other ones for a year. So then when you come back to it, it's like, and you get the same thing on cheat days when you, um, have to wash your jeans or when you send them in for repairs, you get to. You, you know, I got three days, I got three days where I'm like, oh, what am I going to wear? Oh God, it's, it's, you get really excited about it. Are there a lot of people cheating, faking um, their fades? Yeah, so it, there's not a lot. Um, I would say it is happening. Um, it's, it's something that for, for, for a long time, we just kind of, we said, hey, it's the honor system. You know, if people are going to do this, you know, what, what, what are we going to do about it? Um, it, it it's we, we can't hold the genes in front of us and kind of verify. But th there's been a bit of hanky panky this year. Uh, but we've got a, a panel of, of experts, and we've got. Uh, I don't know if you know uh, Rudy, the Swiss jeans mm. freak. Oh yeah, he's a freak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's an incredible, incredible human being. Uh, how, unlike how many he, pairs does he have he's, in he's his one, museum now? Uh, I think fourteen thousand. I think. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's done an incredible service for, for, um, like in terms of archiving, uh, those forgotten pairs, those forgotten brands, uh, he's, he did, they're all in there. He's, he's, he's mm. got an incredible, incredible collection. Um, and, and, he, and he's an incredible human being, but he, he's been fading jeans and, and, and obsessing about jeans for, this is his 50, 
year anniversary. He started this in 1973, and with his, he got a, uh, like a, I think it was donated a, a pair of of Levi's. Uh, it was came in a bundle to to his home, and uh, that started this 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 whole trajectory that uh, that that's that made him the man he is today, which is a wonderful wonderful thing. Uh, he's going to uh, help us this year to take a look at anything that we deem suspicious. We'll we'll be we'll be sending them to him. So we look for things like uh, so you, you know what stacks are. Hmm. Yeah, the end of so the legs. Yeah, at the end of the at the end of the legs where the where the jeans kind of stack up on the on the on the vamp of of your boots or shoes, whatever you're wearing down there, it creates these. Uh, it's, it's it's a beautiful pattern when it's natural. Uh, it kind of looks like waves, uh, just moving gently up uh, up the calf. Uh, and there are some people though who've um, clearly like ironed creases in, or used a rolling pin, or or, or something to create these perfect diamonds uh, at the at the bottom of the leg. So rather than these creases developing naturally, they've been forced. They've been created, and it uh, anything that is this. You know, anytime you see straight lines, perfectly straight lines, perfect symmetry uh, in fades, those those pairs are not going to be represented in our final. We're, we're just we're just going to exclude them. We're not going to make a big stink about it. Uh, we're not like they're welcome to come back and try again next year. But if they try the same thing again, we'll exclude them from the finals then as well. So uh, we'll run them through our experts, and they'll help us determine. Okay, these are authentic fades. These are. Um, you know, like definitely not authentic, and these are on the line. And I think this, the ones that were that are on the line will will err on the side of caution on those, and maybe uh, disappoint a few people. Looping back to the book for a bit, mm -hmm. sure. What are your favorite favorite chapters? Which mm. uh, which of the classic rebel wardrobe pieces are dearest to your heart? I, the the hardest one to write was probably uh, jeans, uh, because I have a lot that I that I wanted to say. Uh, about uh, denim history, so that that uh, if you're a denim enthusiast like me, um, it's it, it's a great chapter to start with. Obviously, there's, 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 I've tried to condense that history down to, you know, it was like 1,100 or 1,200 characters or something, uh, but um, really enjoyed that uh, process as difficult as it was. My the one that like kind of blew my hair back. Uh, as I was writing it, as to how incredible these stories are, uh, was the competition sweaters. So it's in the motorcycle section uh, near the near the back of the book, and it's, it's the, the the chapter really focuses on the board track racers uh, from the early part of the 20th century. And this might be might be new to you, but these it's when the motorcycle was was still in its infancy, it still looked like basically a, a mountain bike. Uh, with an engine strapped to it, and uh, of course, it's it's in human nature, and especially you know the, the, the testosterone seems to generate this kind of stuff. Uh, where it, it, as soon as you you you, you had like two wheel transportation, people were racing them, you know, and, and people wanted to, and that generates this kind of arms race to just go faster and faster and faster and faster. And they created these board tracks, which are just rough hewn boards. Uh, you know, banked as much as 60 degrees in the corner and you have these guys pull out into the middle of the track and just tw twist the throttle and no brakes. <laughs> it just, 
you, you hold on for dear life. And by the teens, I think, uh, they were crossing the hundred mile per hour mark, uh, on, the, on, on these, uh, on the, on these tracks, on these, what look like, you know, rickety death traps by, uh, by today's standards. And they were just wearing, you know, like some, some pieces of leather, but often just like heavy wool it was kind of the only protective you know, equipment they had. And brands like Indian and, uh, and Harley Davidson used uh, really sharply contrasting sweaters where you had a contrast between the body and the sleeves, or you know, sometimes you had the stripes on the sleeves as well. Um, and uh, as a way to distinguish the, the racers in the field, uh, they created this really incredible uh, style that that still it, it gets pulled in just a little bit into the kind of the heritage and the the rebel and rugged style. You don't see enough of them, uh, but I, th I think they're absolutely beautiful. And the stories in that chapter about these these racers who almost all of them are dead they're like or they were dead by the <laughs> 1920s um these incredible stories of guys um like, i can't remember the guy's name now but he uh, he had this horrific crash and broke his collarbone and you know had shards of of, of wood and uh, splinters all, all over his body and he had this crash and they took him to the hospital and he was back on the track the same day, you know, racing with the collarbone. And then he won his race. Um, like later, later that evening and he died two years later <laughs> doing what he loved. Uh, but it, it, it's really incredible. Um, not just a chapter in the book, but a chapter in the, in the history of kind of uh, rugged menswear and, uh, it, and it tossed to testosterone sports, you know, it, it, it's, yeah, I've really enjoyed the research for that. And uh, every new story I read, I was like, why don't we know more about this? This is, I was really happy to be able to tell some of those stories in the book. It strikes me that a lot of these pieces really do sort of fit together. Uh, so you've got the workwear and you've got the workwear boots, which might have been used by the same guy. That's where I want to go with the second book. Uh, you know, is is looking at when you when you say like these how these pieces naturally fit together, um, that that, that you you could have almost I think actually every single piece in the in the rebels wardrobe, you could build a wardrobe with every single one of those pieces and then just mix and match and you could just throw it all together, um, but it, I, I I I suspect it's a little more complicated than that. Um, and, that, and that's what I want to look at in the in the second book, is that the rebel outfit it, it, is how do we build the, the a look that, that 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 catches the eye, because not I, I don't I don't think every single piece uh, goes together as well as any other uh, that that we can create uh, really eye catching and really um, expressive uh, outfits the the using the same principles as classic menswear because like uh, Alan Flusser, you read, you read a book like uh, by Alan Flusser and he gets down to the nitty gritty, uh, the Derek guy, it gets down to the nitty gritty about you know, the centimeters here and the inches there and what colors go with what. And we don't have anything like that in the, in the rugged style scene. We just, everybody just kind of, uh, it's kind of a free for all. Oh, like, 
don't know. I mean, yes, they have very strict rules, but there are rules in the sort of rugged scene as well, I think, that a lot of it has to be expensively made in Japan. It has to be authentic. Mm -hmm. It can't be a, a yeah. Chinese copy. Uh, <laughs> so... It, but that, that that goes to the, the the consumer side of it is like what we buy, what we allow into our wardrobes. Hmm. That that's like that's something I think that it's it's roughly covered in that first book. It's like these are the pieces, and there there's a, 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 a well, there's strict criteria. I think the the, the further you go into in, in, into that enthusiast territory, the stricter that criteria gets for what. Well, we, we 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 what we should uh, be, be looking at what pieces are uh, are, are worthy uh, of, of the, the the enthusiast's wardrobe. Mm. But what we don't have a lot of is guidance in terms of how to then make an outfit out of that. Is how to how how to create a, a style that's not just oh that this is an expensive piece from Japan and this is an expensive piece from Japan. And I have an expensive hat from Texas and the, these all seem to kind of work together you know, pretty well, or maybe not at all. Yeah. Um, it, 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 that's, that's what I want to look at. That's, that's like reading Alan Flusser was, was like, okay, he gets really prescriptive on this. And I think, I think we could use just some of that. Not all of it. Not 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 as because it's 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 the rebel style. It's ca it's casual style. It's about wearing something you're comfortable with, something that you think looks great on you. So you can't be you can't be too prescriptive with it. But uh, I th I think we can learn something from 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 the conventional style guides. And I don't think the the guys in the scene are reading those conventional style guides. And I, I want to condense some of that or translate it to take it from take it from there and bring it here. I say I have a pile of books like mm -hmm. the one you mentioned and the one you mentioned, and I find them. I, I think the word I'm looking for is uninteresting because they don't Stuff, say stuffy. anything about my. What I'm doing, but it would be interesting. But, but um, what if they did? But what if they did? Yeah, well, I mean, what, there are things I would like to know. I mean, at what point should I actually hem a jacket, arms? Uh, how long should exactly. stuff be? I mean, what actually does work and doesn't work? Um, Where should a denim jacket sit in relation to your belt? You know, how thick should your belt be? Uh, like simple things like uh, matching your belt and shoes. Like how, uh, how how much do we need to be aware of that color difference if the belt isn't showing because we're wearing untucked looks? You know, how, how should a how should a denim shirt fit on the body? Where should the uh, one of the one of the things I'm really interested in is the bottom button when you've got a snap. Like. It, I, I know the shirt's going to fit great when that bottom snap is either just above or hovering over my belt buckle. Like that's where, where the, the apron yeah. of the shirt, like that, that's where it gets the right spread. It always covers me when I put my arms up, it doesn't rise above my belt. So those questions about how do we know when something is a perfect fit, those become, uh, th those are something I, I want to explore in, in, in the rugged scene. And I think 
I think we need to explore it. It becomes especially important because so many of the clothes we love are purchased from Japan uh, or from from small heritage makers in the, the United States who follow similar guidelines in terms of how the garment should fit. And it it doesn't always fit. it doesn't always fit. It, it, this is this is the the one of one of the chief frustrations. You've, you've you've probably experienced this so much. So much. I, I'm. I'm, I'm almost six and a half feet tall. Uh, I have very long arms uh, and uh, yeah, I, have a, I have a long torso. The legs are fine. I can, I can wear off the rack jeans. That, that's the never a problem, but shirts and jackets are just a whole a different ball game. So the, the more I apply rules about how something should fit, um, to, to what I look at in, in terms of shirting and jackets, uh, the, the better I get at buying things that I will wear. So that this, this, this year I'm trying to only exclusively buy, uh, garments that fit 100% correctly, according to kind of some, some rules I've set up for myself. And it's, 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 it's generating a more delight. Uh, in in the clothes that I purchase, and less of that buyer's remorse that comes that's that specific kind of buyer's remorse that comes with buying something that doesn't fit a hundred percent right. Now you see, this is something that is very dear to my heart, and I think this is why rules work better for a guy like Alan Flusser, who orders all his stuff bespoke or custom made, because you're what six four, I'm five seven. Now, if you tell me you're a forty two inch chest as well. We know where the problem is. Yeah. Because that shirt, size large, probably won't fit either of us. No. No, it, I, I, absolutely. Got it. I, I am a 42-inch chest. Uh, and it's... When, when, you, when, you, when you go with just the chest measurement, you know, the, 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 and the sleeves don't fit right. Um, I, I, I've, I found it's... I either go bespoke. That's, that's, that's a always an option and there are some incredible uh, bespoke workwear uh guys out there um uh, via piana in, uh, in up in canada and rutloff my favorite uh in, in germany i'd like to mention uh, companion denim as my favorite I was, yeah i was going to go the third uh like I, I wore a companion piece for the redline rally for i, I wore a um a, a beautiful snap-up western shirt um, with, with like Kakashibu and uh, the dye on the inside and uh, on the weft and uh, indigo warp uh, with these boot stitch pockets. I absolutely adored it. Uh, and and uh, uh, I had companion make that for me and uh, marvelous work. Uh, so uh, th those are the three that, that, that come to mind immediately companion, Rutloff, uh, and uh, Via Piana uh, in, in Canada. So you can go there, but there's a huge premium. Uh, to pay for that process um and by applying rules about how something should fit and knowing your numbers uh, and in terms of okay well i'm, I'm this wide so the, the number should be here to here for the, for the chest for the shoulders for the arm length for the body length like rigorously applying that means we buy less uh and, and sometimes not at all <laughs> you know, i've walked out of more stores empty-handed uh, than I, than I have with something, uh, in a bag. Uh, but having those kind of r rules and, and, and guidelines for, 
this is how something should fit. And if it doesn't do that for you, leave it on the shelf because you, you or get it tailored. You know, buy something too big and then have it have it brought in by a, by an expert tailor or let out if you have the sleeve allowance, this kind of thing, um, to get that perfect fit because that's the that's the best way to generate that kind of love match that will then allow you to bring out the best in the garment um, by wearing it hundreds of times. Or you can buy it and instigate change in yourself so that you too ah. can become perfect enough to wear it. <laughs> <laughs> how, uh, how many no, items I've, do you have in storage waiting for that day when you're that size again i think many of us do have <laughs> a nice little stack of old favorites i yeah I, I, I can i i can empathize or i can sympathize but i can't quite empathize so I, I've, I'm, I've been roughly the same size since i was about 21 22 uh you know like a I, I exercise regularly, but I've also, it's just, I exercise regularly to keep weight on. Uh, if, if I, if I stop working out, I just shrink down to nothing. I just become toothpicks. Um, but, to, but by like, you know, continuing going to the gym, I've, 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 I've kept the same, roughly the same size, at least that I, I still fit into the same clothes in the same way uh as when i was younger and i know i understand that that's not everybody's experience um but it it, it does i i we, we see this a lot in the indigo invitational that people either the genes become too big for them if they if, they, if they're losing weight or if they're if they're getting weight that the, the genes become too tight uh and it's a struggle I, again i really sympathize with uh because there would i it would break my heart to have a piece that I loved and loved, love wearing. And then my body changes shape, uh, either subtly or dramatically. And suddenly it's, it just has to go in storage, as you say, until you come to that day and you might never come to that day again. If it's a, if it's a matter of weight loss, you might lose that weight and keep it off forever. And then the, and then that piece just has to remain in storage, which is, yeah, it's always sad when something just sits neglected in a drawer. Looping back to the book again, I'm, I'm looking out over the spread of all the items mentioned, and I'm thinking, now, I don't have all of them. I imagine quite a few guys have pretty much all of them. But I'm also thinking that I wonder what else there is that isn't mentioned here. Because this uh, is kind of kind of it. Yeah, um, so the, there were a few pieces. Okay, I'll, I'll give you three examples. Um uh, one that I wrote a chapter for, and one that uh, I, I, I I didn't end up writing chapters for, although I fought for them. So it, it, at the end of the day, it's that the publisher decides what what um, what content they want included in the book, and uh, the chambray shirt, which was going to win the workwear chapter, that that to me is an essential piece. Uh, it has a great history, especially kind of the the Dust Bowl, nineteen thirties. You know, paired with uh, with with the overalls. That that there's uh, there's, there's some incredible stories there uh, to tell, especially about some of the iconic photographs, the FSA photographs, uh, stuff like this uh, from the nineteen thirties. So that 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 chapter I would have liked to see included, but uh, it didn't make the cut. So we can talk about that kind of stuff on on Denim Hunters. Uh, the other two uh, 
absolutely 100% should have been in the uh, cowboy chapter or cowboy section of the book, I should say. Just adjusting my microphone here. Um, and that is, uh, I, I think these are uh, non-controversial uh, Western items, which is the cowboy boot and the cowboy hat. And that they, uh, yeah, I wasn't uh, able to write chapters on those. I would have liked to, but um, I, I, I think you take those things away and what what have you you basically got a lumberjack <laughs> you've got like you know he's wearing jeans and a flannel uh, a shirt you take away the hat and the boots and like it's, it's not a cowboy anymore so um i, I would have really liked uh, to have written chapters on both of those things and that they're also items that i see as um, essential items that I'm on the hunt for. I'm, I'm on the hunt for the perfect cowboy hat. I'm on the hunt for the perfect pair of, pair of cowboy boots, but uh, um, I'm going to have to convince my wife of the hat for sure. Uh, that, that's going to be a tough one. Yeah, I think if you're going to fully cosplay the cowboy, you do need them, mm -hmm. but you wouldn't find me adding them to my collection. That is that is a step way beyond. It's, it's a big one. So to go, I, I want to do the white hat and uh, that 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 connects to to my to my roots in, in Calgary. Uh, you know, they, they had the stampede there uh, every year. There's the world's largest rodeo, and it, the, the the white hat is kind of symbolic of uh, uh, of that kind of that uh, they 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 give them to to esteemed visitors when they arrive. They get you get you get it's a verb. You can white hat somebody is to it's basically like giving them the keys to the city or it's just, it's it's like a it's like a less committed version of that like giving them the keys to the city it's, it's saying welcome to our fair town you know you give them the white hat um so th th there's there's connections to my roots there but it's also just a incredibly stylish piece if worn well um i saw it worn extremely well with a pea coat on um uh, on yellowstone uh, by it was Walker is the the guy the guy's name wears the white hat and a and a, and a pea coat uh, and it, it just those two the, the 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 contrast between those two especially if you have a dark hair like I do uh, it's it's a really sharp look so uh, I, he's got the ten gallon hat I wouldn't go that far but um, yeah the, the 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 white cowboy hat that's on my list I think ninety five percent of listeners are now just nodding their head and saying we'll we'll, we'll trust you on that Brian yeah. I'm sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's. I understand that, like, like because of where I come from and 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 what uh, what my style inspirations were as a young, especially as a young man, uh, like like being at the you know, around authentic cowboys. Um, I, I, that's not going to resonate here. I, I I understand that if I wear a white cowboy hat in in Fredericksburg, I, I'm I'm party of one. Yeah, like it's you know, there's there's, there's nobody else to. I'm already that guy. <laughs> we, you, you and I talked about this before the show started uh, about uh, like the the the, the, the menswear scene uh, here here in Norway is uh, um, it, it's tough to locate. I, I I haven't located it here in in, in Fredrikstad, and I don't know what it's like on the other side of the fjord. Uh, but I have I have suspicions that it's. Um, you're a party of one up there as well. That is uh, pretty much how it is, yeah. 
sadly. Something I wanted to ask you about. Uh, a few of these rebels you mentioned, um, and I, I asked Derek Guy about this on Twitter, but he never replied to me, which is, I know, a bad flex. But people like Steve McQueen, who are often brought out as menswear icons. I mean, admittedly, Steve McQueen does look good in a white T-shirt. But does that make him a menswear icon? I mean, why are people so obsessed by him? I think mainly because he's a good-looking guy. But he was also an arsehole. So I fully agree with you on both counts. Uh, he's he's a problematic character, uh, to, to to say the least. Uh, and we we we, we talked about this, uh, you know, or at least I thought about this, about how to how to wade into that. Um, trying not to um, deify uh, somebody who's got um, some some pretty pretty severe issues that you should um, uh, it, it, again this is this you, you can hear me kind of like thinking uh, through <laughs> because you, you you need to be so careful about um, uh, how you talk about these guys and uh, and especially their past, John Wayne would be another one. Uh, John Wayne's a big one uh, that you you can't. It's really hard to discuss the, the history of Western wear on film without talking about Harry Carey and John Wayne and John Ford. And these guys had some uh, had some views that were frankly revolting, uh, and they, they 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 expressed these things publicly uh, and were. Um, you're behind uh, in in terms of where, where they should have been on the on, on the progress. But I I tried in 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 the book to just I to just look at the clothes and to see okay they 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 they, they came uh, you know the the, the t shirt comes uh, comes uh, riding into the into the spotlight on 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 the back of Marlon Brando and you know the sweatshirt uh, does the, the same thing on the on the back of of Steve McQueen and the same thing with the A2 in uh, as the Cooler King. And I, I I didn't dive into, I didn't discuss in, in, in the pages their personal lives or um, their, their controversial opinions because I don't, I, I don't have, I don't have space for that in, in the, in the book. It, it's, it would, it would be a distraction from, what I'm talking about is just purely the clothes and, and, and you, you hit it on the head. I, 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 Steve McQueen and, and the, and the, the sweatshirt and the A2, he made these things cool because he was a really good looking guy and he looked really good wearing those clothes. And he had a certain effortlessness, uh, especially like in, in some of the motorcycle chapters, you'll, you'll, you'll see like the, 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 the motorcycle, the British motorcycle jacket, you know, the, the the waxed motorcycle jacket with the drunk pocket and everything. So the barber and the, and the bell the, stuff. Yeah. The bell stuff. Um, it's, it, it's, it's, it's really difficult to talk about those pieces without bringing in Steve McQueen, uh, you know, representing America, uh, in the, in, in the six days trials, uh, in East, I think it was in East Germany. And, so if you're going you to bring that in, if Steve McQueen is, is going to come with that, and there's pictures of Steve McQueen, there's lots of pictures of Steve McQueen in the book, uh, and 
I, I, which I just, I made a conscious decision not, not to, to wade into the controversy and the, like the, the, I think I might, might've mentioned something about it in the introduction, but, um, at, at the, at the end of the day, the, the, the book isn't about them. Hmm. It's about the, it's about the clothes. It, it like that they're just vehicles for presenting the clothes to the public. And, um, they were in the limelight already, you know, the, 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 the clothes didn't make them famous. Like they, the, the clothes took some of their fame. Um, like, like, so the, 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 the shirt was helped by Marlon Brando's, you know, star status. And you have to mention that, uh, but, um, it's, it's, it, uh, to, to, to just dive into biographies of the, uh, of the individuals. I didn't have space for it. I just uh, really didn't have space for it. And I would, I would love to speak at length about like the kind of some of the problematic characters in, uh, menswear's past, but that's just another book. Hmm. I could, I could see how that is. Uh, it does worry me that, um, you see them mentioned so often though, among people and always like there's some, some idol, some icon, sort of in general but the sort of darker side doesn't really come up i'm a bit worried in the future we'll be thinking of uh, bill cosby and his knitwear or yeah, andrew yeah. tate as an as a star <laughs> of uh, shiny tight suits mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing where you sort of just don't realize the problems that were yeah it, it, yeah and i guess it, it it walks the walks the line between it, or I tr you try to walk the line because I, I, I don't want to give the the impression, and I definitely don't want to actually do it to gloss over uh, what what are what are some things that we should we should be discussing when we discuss these people. But with a limited amount of space uh, to discuss the, uh, the 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 history of let, let's say the A two, uh, so when you're talking about the A two. I, I, I don't have two paragraphs to spare. I, I just don't, there's, there's so much incredible history there and you can, you can talk about the great escape and what a great film that was, uh, and the iconic Steve McQueen moments in there. Uh, you know, but you can do that without saying, Hey, what a great guy. <laughs> because I, I don't think I use those words, uh, in the book. I don't, I don't, um, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, kind of spin off into celebrity worship, um, which, which is dangerous, uh, dangerous territory to be in for any reason, you know, like that I'm interested in the clothes and, um, there, there are certain figures who wear these clothes exceptionally well because they're very handsome or because they are. You know, really adept in the saddle or on a motorbike or uh, in, a, in a cockpit. I mean, if you are Brad Pitt, um, you do have a head start. Yeah, you, you're going to hit the genetic lottery there uh, and everything looks good on you. But that's 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 one of the things that I've tried to do with, with, the, with the book and with all my writing in general is, is to say, like, hey, you, you don't have to be uh, conventionally handsome to, to look great in this stuff or to look your best uh in, in in this stuff you don't have to be 
Steve McQueen to to look awesome in an A2 because like it's it just it's it's all about how you feel and and and, and when you put on that the right piece for your body shape and and then the right piece for kind of the the, the period you want to draw on stuff like that um, it feels so good it, it, it like when you step in front of that mirror or when you step out into the street and you, and you, and you even get those slight glimmers of of, of recognition or appreciation for a, for a menswear enthusiast not much beats that feeling so if you were going to put together your sort of ideal favorite outfit now starting with your white mm. cowboy hat <laughs> where would you go going down <laughs> it, the, the, i think the white white cowboy hat would be uh, you're not getting away from it yeah like a, a pretty special um so because it's new uh, i've got a brand new buzz rickson uh william gibson peacoat that that has it, it, it it's been uh, a revelatory the, the 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 experience of wearing this 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 coat with the with the big ulster collar you know turned up against the wind it's just the right season for it here in norway so but like i've got to start with that i've, I've got to start with the with the pea coat on top um and, and depending on the weather either a watch cap or nothing on on uh, like as, as headwear uh and then i i'm probably going to go with like just the one that for the first one that comes to mind uh is uh this this breton that another another chapter i, lo I loved writing um my my in-laws were in were in Brittany uh, a decade ago or something, and they they wanted like an authentic Breton, and they they went to this um, into this little shop somewhere that's you know, was advertising like authentic Bretons, and they got this it's it's wool, and it's got this it's beautifully striped. It's got the the, the buttons across the shoulder. And it's, it's, it's slightly like, like it's got the, the kind of the workwear fit where it's, 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 it's really, um, generous in the arms. It fits me right down to the waist and it doesn't fit my father-in-law anymore. So he's like, you, you can have this. And I, I love it. <laughs> it's every time I wear it, I, I just, uh, that's a really special piece. Uh, the horizontal stripes, uh, you know, work well for me. And it's, Did they make you seem sharp... taller or shorter. I never. I, 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 I don't think there's any way to make me seem short. Um, but yeah, it, it's. I think the, the especially with the pea coat on with the with the it it has a a widening effect. It makes me look broader than I am. Scary. Um, yeah, it, it's it's just this. It's, it's incredible sharp angles uh, with the with the V kind of framing your face. Um. So I, I think that would create this. It would, it would just work with that. It would work with the already horizontal uh, shape of the of the pea coat, uh, even when fastened. Uh, and then below that, um, I, I have I have so many favorite pairs of jeans. But um, yeah, it's 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 it, it's it's almost impossible for me to name like you know like one particular brand and style i really love my Ironheart 634s that uh, you know, faded years ago uh, i've got a pair of uh, of old naked and famous that predated those that I, I, i've repaired with with sashiko um 
like throughout. So all the way down the thighs and the, the whole back of them is just all sashiko. Um, so those are really special. I think those are the, those are the ones I pull out when I really want to make a statement about the beauty of fully faded jeans. I've got a great pair of custom Rutloffs that I, that I love wearing as well. So it's kind of whatever mood I'm in. If I was wearing it tomorrow, I'd be wearing what I'm wearing right now, which is the old blue, uh, beasts or they're, they're uh, 21 ounce dry 23. Once you get them wet, 23 ounce, uh, with this, they're just a nice straight kind of cowboy cut. I call them, I called them my cowboy jeans and the wife hated that, but, um, <laughs> They, they they do like the old blue does that kind of old west feel uh, exceptionally well. Uh, and then if I was making the the, the outfit myself, uh, like and I could include pieces I don't already own, uh, I'd probably be a pair of Wesco engineers, or if I can really shoot for the moon, a, p- a pair of uh, creosotes uh, from uh, J D Gabbard. Uh, so there's there's a few boots I have on my list that I would. That I still haven't, I haven't ticked those boxes yet, but I've got, if it has to be boots I own, then it's my, uh, Red Wing, um, Indigo Farah climber boots. So the Red Wing 4328, which is a, a black eight inch kind of lace up uh, logger style boot that is uh, black with green soles. They're, they're beautiful. I, I love them. Wear them every day. Okay. Uh, this what, about interesting... you? what about you? This... Let, can, me can just, I ask, let, can, let me just uh, uh, a peacoat, uh, Buzz Rickson's yeah. uh, William Gibson. There's an interesting story about uh, about their collaborations with William Gibson. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you're aware of them. I'm, I'm all ears. I've, uh, I, I looked into the into the into the history, so I, I might know the story, but I won't interrupt you. Go William ahead, Gibson being is he a Canadian author? Um, I think American, American but I'm not possibly. I'm not. I'm not sure. Maybe not sure. Seattle. Uh, the thing is, though, in his book, I think it was Pattern Recognition, his main character, uh, KC, wears an MA1, which is said to be a Buzz Rickson replica. And he actually describes it in great detail in the book about how much effort they've put into it. The thing was, though, at the time, Buzz Rickson didn't make an MA1 replica. But they didn't make a black one, I think. They, well, they certainly didn't make one. I don't think they made one at all, but it was it was sort of quite weird because afterwards they sort of got in touch with each other and they started yeah. making it as a William Gibson special and then they have over time expanded that to um to other ones as well other models which which is why the the the, the, the peacoat instead of being that midnight blue uh it is black <laughs> it is mm-hmm. absolutely black with black horse hide accents uh, around the uh, slash pockets yeah I don't know, the hand warmer yeah i don't know if william gibson himself is how much of a menswearist he is he certainly doesn't look like one but he does have an uncanny ability to pick up on things in his book so one of the books does accurately describe the raw denim uh esoteric rare stuff and also in another one, it's uh, army garments. So he's uh, he's quite savvy to it, which is interesting. Somebody who surprised me that was uh, quite savvy to that as well, um, or at least to one brand that that, uh, that I think we all have some, um, uh, at least at the very little, they, just, they deserve respect and, and maybe not admiration, but at least respect. Uh, 
But uh, David Sedaris, do you know David Sedaris? No. Uh, a humorist, I would say, but he's got a long list of books. He's, he's written for, he's frequently featured in The New Yorker. Um, and uh, a lot of his writing is autobiographical. He's got uh, some very interesting family dynamics uh, going on, but always with this um, this kind of sardonic tone. It, 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 he's, he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. And he's got a uh, like a piece called, I think it's called A Perfect Fit or The Perfect Fit. And he describes uh, stopping in at uh, Capital in Ebisu in, okay. in Tokyo. And he says this is one of his favorite brands. And he and his, his sister, Amy, I think, uh, they... Uh, he just he describes the experience of, uh, of of being in a capital store, what what that's like, but but particularly the the, the garments, the way they distress garments with the boro and, uh, and the distressing stuff. It's um, it's, it's it's really well done, uh, really well done. And I, I always it happens so rarely, you know, and I'll, I'll I'll read that William Gibson as well because that sounds great. Uh, but it happens so rarely when you're reading something not related to this scene and you see them reference something that that is usually only discussed, something like a brand like Capital. Uh, you just don't see that discussed very often outside of the, the menswear enthusiast circle. Uh, so it, it was really great. I was sitting in bed reading that and um, you know, delighted just to, to see him dis discuss capital for about three pages he spent on just on that brand and thereby validating your existence absolutely i've been in that same store uh, <laughs> that, that he that he's discussing but i i only walked out with a bandana right. because capital pieces are just it's just um you, you love them and I, I i would never say i hate capital pieces i i i don't but it's it's a lot I have had, and I do have some of their stuff, but it's very much, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, they make so much different stuff. Some of it is totally wacky and some of it is very wearable. So uh, it's this, is it the century number five where they, they have the, I think it's called this, the, it's been a while since I looked it up, but I think it's called the century or monkey denim uh, number five or something like that. I can't, I can't remember what, what it's called. Your, your, your viewers will, will, will jump on this. I'm, I'm sure. Or your listeners, I should say. Um, but it, it's, it's, that was the, that was the one that I almost, that's, that almost feels like the piece that got away. Yeah. You know, we all have that. Do you, can I ask you what's, what's your, so I'll, I'll describe my piece that got away and then you just, you describe yours. It was this uh, pair of, uh, of jeans from, from Capital. There were sashiko, uh, so, but like the fabric was, was, was sashiko. It wasn't like it hadn't been sashiko on top of that, but it was so this very highly textured fabric, uh, which was like kind of a really dark blue on the outside, but uh, this this brown, this persimmon. I know um, the ones you mean, yeah. Yeah, but, but bleeding century through. century doesn't matter. Yeah, it's century. I think that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to come around to. And they were just a little short. And they had the buckle back, which is not a not a feature I really really love. And my wife convinced me to leave them behind, uh, and probably maybe for the best. But I still feel like that's the one that got away. That I that I should that I should have I, I should have slapped the plastic on the counter for those, because I I've, I've seen faded pairs and oh my god, <laughs> that that fabric is it's like nothing else. So 
What's what for you? What's the one that got away? What's what's your piece that got away? Of capital or just everything? Everything. I'm truly not sure because if it's if I go to shops, I always find it incredibly hard to buy something because it's so rare that I find anything that I feel is worth it once I'm there and can feel it, try it on. But there's a whole podcast in that, I think. That's, that, that, and that's that, why I feel that, that feeling, yeah. good shops should have a comeback because online shopping has made it too easy to make bad decisions. And I've talked about this a lot in the past as well. But once you go into a shop and you have to feel it, try it on and actually take out your money, the buying process is so much more considered. It, it, it really is. The, the brick and mortar is uh, restricting yourself to brick and mortar is perhaps the best way we can keep some of that money in our wallet and and reduce the the, the amount of times that we end up with that less than fully satisfied uh, buying experience. Uh, when you get that piece that just doesn't fit right, it, chances are um, it, 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 it's come through that online shopping. Mm. Uh, like the, the, the vast majority of it. I've, I've still, I've, because denim changes sh shape and size when it's washed for the first time, if it's, if it's uh, like kind of loom state, when you get it, sometimes you get the, the disappointing experience comes much later. Uh, with the first time you wash it, <laughs> hundred and eighty uh, days in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah. Like it's it, it's a uh, you, you see that drop off. You know about the three month mark when people start washing their jeans for the first time, and you you know people we've lost people because the jeans have shrunk on them. Um, but it's uh, yeah. I think there's there, there's a there's a lot we could discuss there, um, on. The, the the buying experience online versus the the, the buying experience uh, in brick and mortar because the it's it's so much more rewarding at brick and mortar because the, the, you get the opportunity to engage with every product like up close and, and actually try it on your body and when you get that yes this is the one it's it's so much more rewarding than hitting click buy uh, when you when you find it in a store and know it's going to fit right, know it's going to it's going home with you and going right into the center of your collection instead of that the op tearing open the package that comes in the mail is it's 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 different. But I, I I prefer the brick and mortar. The moment when it comes in the mail is so short. That first mm -hmm. impression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, but there's there's a lot to discuss there. <laughs> you wanted to know what I would have worn. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. Now I have a problem with knitted caps, watch caps, beanies. They just don't work because You're flat the, cap, flat caps. No, I can wear a tweed no. uh, Baker Boy cap. I can wear mm -hmm. a hat. I'm quite into hats now. That took a long time. Um, I like uh, hunting caps, sort of Elmer Fudd style. I have a wonderful mm -hmm. one, which is lined in shearling with Harris Tweed on the outside, custom made. So it actually Everybody's got to have some Harris. Everybody has to have some Harris Tweed in their collection. Well, somewhere. I am very dedicated to the Harris Tweed. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say I have a, a large pile of it. <laughs> and I also had a wonderful trip uh, to the Hebrides a few years ago. Uh, visited Jealous. Weaver and did the 
did the thing. So very into that. So I'd wear my um, Elmer Fudd style Harris Tweed hunting cap. Uh, very much into Harris Tweed coats now. And I do notice mm. Tweed doesn't get a mention in the book. Did Rebels no, not wear Tweed? Well, I, I, I think you could find a, a, a way to frame... Uh, a tweet of fabric, so it's yeah, it, but it's, it's also to say old money rebel. Uh, it's a country rebel. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that would be a great angle, but it would be the only fabric to be included. Like you, you could, we could have had chapters on denim as a, as a, as a rebel fabric, a tweed, yeah. uh, a jersey, as, a, as, as all as rebel fabrics. Um. And I and I I I, I strongly uh, I'm, I'm with you when I present that uh, that uh, everybody should have some some Harris tweed. Uh, I have a three piece uh, suit. I had I had them make for me, um, which I, I adore. Uh, but it's it's I think it's best use his best use is in classic menswear pieces like the overcoat, um, or um, like a, a, a blazer. Uh, or, or a matching suit, this kind of thing, and then that's that. That would be pulling us in different directions. The closest we get to that is the trench coat. Mm. I, I think we're I think, a bit fust, is, fusty and old-fashioned there, you know, because uh, yeah, the tweed 100%. is uh, is very much the rebel way now, um, and that is something I'm very um, keen it, on. Oh, it could have gone waist. I could have gone waistcoat. Yeah, I'm, I'm that, making that's a, another... a, a very sort of fly fishing style waistcoat in Harris tweed at the moment. Oh, yeah. Which I feel is re rebellious of me. Others may disagree. I'll look, um, I'll look forward to seeing you in that. So, okay, go back to your outfit. I'll go, go with you and, uh, and wear a pair of jeans. Um, I did actually uh, very much enjoy two trips to Copenhagen last year and visited the very shop your co-writer occasionally works in, Brund in Copenhagen. Yeah. Wonderful selection of denim. And that really brought home, again, the difference between going to a shop, you can try stuff on, and ordering stuff online. Because I had an idea mm -hmm. when I went in what I wanted, and I walked out with something entirely different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Often the case, yeah. So I didn't get the 21-ounce uh, denim. I actually went with the 16-ounce because it was so much more tactile. Much more reasonable. Did, was it the, the Ironheart? Ironheart 888. The Slubby? Yeah, the Slubby yeah, the, one. The, it was a bit more reasonable. The one. Yeah. But once you're, mm -hmm. once you're sort of up in that price level, it doesn't really make that much difference. But... Um, you can follow along with uh, with Thomas. He's fading a pair in this year's Invitational, right? So you you can see how they develop. They they they're they're quite quite something. That the the texture. I think they he spent Rocky Son spent like I think four years working on that on that fabric, and it was worth the wait. It's a very distinctive fabric. That said, mm -hmm. I don't think denim uh, iron hearts are that well made uh, because companion denim make much more well-constructed jeans I, I it's it's hard to argue with you there uh, you're, you're like talking about a bespoke versus uh, uh, even uh, even versus off, off, uh, even companions uh, regular order ones are really I mean you have properly felled seams in the legs and one piece flies and I mean yeah I'm not saying iron hearts are poorly made but they're not no, as well no, made as they can not. Yeah, um, uh, it, 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 it's 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 artistry when you get when you get to to a certain level there and it, the, uh, the 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 flat felled seams are um, it, 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 it admittedly it's a touch I I really appreciate uh, when when I see it 
Uh, but even my my custom uh, my 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 top pair from from Rutloff, they're they're not fat fat felt mm. because it's easier to open them up and work on them. If you if you, if you look at them as a as a living garment, uh, as something that's going to pass frequently between your 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 tailor's hands and your own as as they age, then you want something that's going to be able to that the tailor can go quickly back into the jeans and 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 repair them as necessary or or. Uh, mm. change the fit if, if, if required mm. so it's the, the justification for Possibly. there's justification on both sides yeah. for for the flat felt seam it's super clean it looks it's, it's my favorite for you get that absolutely arrow sharp uh like the straight line uh from from the uh, that kind of main connecting point uh under the crotch all the way down to the uh to the cuff it's just such a beautiful straight line uh, and uh, on the inside and out. But there's justifications for uh, for uh, overlocked uh, seams as well uh, that I've found compelling. Mm. Yeah, I'll still go with the flat felt uh, <laughs> boots. No, stick with it. Boots. Yeah, stick with what you like. I gave myself a wonderful pair of boots this Christmas, and they're not mm. workwear. They're not American. They're not. Uh, heritage as such really a pair of uh, Joseph Cheney's Tiger Moth boots in a 1930s I think aviators style they're quite tall lined yep. in shearling commando soles so yep. they're nicely warm for winter uh, the British commando soles aren't as grippy as the ones Red Wing uses on the ice cutters but they work well on snow and so forth but the shearling lining Tall shaft, lots of um, lacing. Yeah, oh, they're brilliant. How many? How many? How many eyelets? Quite a few, because they go quite a yeah. way up my leg. Yeah, most of the way up your calf. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I thought that that is actually one of uh, my buys in recent years that I have not at all regretted, and that is a yeah. rare occurrence because normally I start regretting something the moment I've hit buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, and, and this could be maybe a, a, a good way to end it. Um, let's do posts. Let's t- let's do those outfits, and we can do a collaborative post. You know, like the the, the two of us together discussing um, the, the 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 podcast we've just done here and our our, our favorite outfits, um, and, and and we'll see if they work as well as we as well as so that was we you with the white hat, cowboy hat. No cowboy hat. Uh, <laughs> not this time. Like if, if I if I uh, or maybe that's the excuse. Maybe that's the excuse. I, I have to. I promise. You'll be run out of time. Uh, yeah, but no. The pea coat, Breton jeans, and boots uh, for for me. And then you, you've got your Elmer Fudd hat. Yeah. Uh, and what, oh, what are you be, for a, a tweed tweed overcoat. Uh, shirt. A tweed overcoat. It might well be a fair Isle sweater, as it's cold. I do have yeah. a wonderful Pharaoh. Hmm. Yeah, I would love to see that. Hmm. I'd love to see that. And there's some good chapters in the book on on, on sweaters. There you go. And it's a yeah. big, thick book, so it's a good we- read. Strong, highly recommended. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that, uh, and, and I hope the the readers, uh, so your listeners, will uh, will will enjoy reading it as much as I enjoyed writing it, and uh, as much as I've enjoyed talking about it. With in you closing, any final words you'd like to say? Um, 
I, I would encourage people to go uh, check out the book on uh, the Gestalten uh, website. Uh, that's uh, if you're in Europe, uh, it's it's free shipping. Uh, so uh, they'll, they'll get it out to you remarkably quickly. I love uh, signing copies. I absolutely. It's, it's one of my favorite things is to meet people who, who, who purchased the book and love it and then I can inscribe it for them. Uh, so I, I, I think I'll be at Denim Days in April. Uh, or if you're ever uh, up around the fjords here, uh, you know, they, they, they drop me a line um, whenever our paths cross. I, I would love to sign it for you. Uh, and finally, uh, check out the Indigo Invitational. It's indigoinvitational.com. It's got information for both the Indigo Invitational, uh, which is the jeans fading competition, and the Redline Rally, which is the shirts and jacket uh, fading competition. Uh, the next Indigo Invitational won't be starting until uh, at the earliest, the end of this year. Uh, so you've got a long uh, wait ahead of you to pick your pair. I, I hope you'll uh, join us for, uh, for for that as well. Um, try to give those 365 days of, uh, of solid wear, uh, to a single pair. And, uh, yeah, that, that's about it. Uh, it's been really great Thanks talking to you. Brian. And, um, goodbye for now. Yeah, goodbye for now. It's been a pleasure. And that's all for this week's episode of Garmology. If you'd like to check out my guest further, there's links in the show notes. There's also links to uh, how you can uh, support the pod by buying me a cup of coffee, which is perfectly optional. I'm just pleased you're listening. If you'd like to get in touch, suggest a guest, just let me know what you think. It's uh, welldressedad at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram as welldressedad. So until next week, bye-bye.